I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I'm your host, Simon. One of my writers of this case, Matt, has written me a script for Killing Addy, The Insanity of the Alexander Family. I've never read this before. That's the format of the show. Uh, visual listeners, if you're wondering, like, Simon, why did you have a hat on? Because suddenly it was like minus, it's minus 12 outside today. And I get to the office and I'm like, oh, no, the heating was turned down. The heating just wasn't coping with how cold it was. So I've turned it up, but it still isn't there. So I'm wearing a hat because it's really cold. I would be wearing gloves, but that would look even more ridiculous. Anyway, let's get into it. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. Those are the words to a punchline from George Carlin, in my opinion, the greatest comedian of all time. I don't, I've heard of George Carlin, but I don't think I've ever seen any George Carlin, which... I, I probably should. Every routine of his was hilarious and controversial, but it also contained a ton of truth, especially when it pertained to religion. Over many hundreds of years, people have been slaughtered simply because of their religious views, whether it was clashing views or the views themselves that called for death. Does the word crusades ring any bells? <laughs> yes, it does. Oh my god, there's been so many people killed because of religion. It's, it's ridiculous. All out wars have been fought in the name of God or gods, and on a much smaller scale, religious cults have been manipulating people for many years into thinking that God was on their side, even when God was calling for the killing of many people en masse. It's weird when people are like religious and it's like, I say, no, 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 God would want you to kill. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I don't like that God then. From Jones down to the Manson family, from Heaven's Gate to Om Shinrikyo, death followed them all, whether from within or out. And today, we're here to talk about how zealous, religious, cult-like belief can twist the minds of those who offer themselves to it wholeheartedly, more specifically, of how it obliterated a family from the inside out. So let's get into it. The date was December the 22nd, 1917. We find ourselves in Santa Cruz in Spain. More specifically, we find ourselves at the house of Dr. Walter Trankler. Dr. Walter Trankler sounds like the least Spanish name I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, to have the name Walter in Spain? It sounds super, like, English. And, like, Trankler? I just imagine all Spanish people to be called, like, Enrique or something. <laughs> Mostly because I've got a Spanish friend called Enrique. He was a well-known and respected physician in the local area, and he had a nice house to go with his station. Hurley was wealthy enough that he could even afford the services of a housemaid, 15-year-old Sabine Alexander. When was this? 1970s? He's got that child labor going on. He wasn't rich enough to afford non-child labor. <laughs> I don't know what the laws were in 1970s Spain. It's probably fine. From all reports, she was rather good at her job, doing minor work around the house, including cooking, cleaning, laundry, and so on. She was also said to be quite humble, quiet, and responsible, very obedient even, perhaps a bit too much so thanks to her extremely strict religious upbringing. At the time, young Sabine was in the kitchen, and Dr. Trankler was just minding his own business when a knock came at the front door. Dr. Trankler opened the door and was greeted by two individuals. The first was a scrawny middle-aged man with dark hair and a short dark beard. The second was a boy no more than 16, tall and handsome, with a rat's nest of dirty blonde hair. They were both filthy and covered in mud, but they didn't seem to be bothered by their appearance at all. If I opened the door to this, I'd be like, what's going on? Who are you? And why are you here? Why are you so dirty? Why are you covered in mud? The two men introduced themselves as Harold and Frank Alexander. Is this really happening in Spain? 
It's like, oh yeah, it's Harold and Frank, the two Spaniards. <laughs> Sabine's father and brother, respectively. They asked if they could speak to Sabine for a moment and explained that it was quite urgent. Dr. Trankler didn't see any harm in this. They were family after all, so he invited them inside. Dr. Trankler called her over, and Sabine, who had been cutting up veggies for breakfast in the morning, put down the knife and met her father and brother at the door. It's a bit weird to eat vegetables for breakfast, isn't it? I know different cultures have different foods for breakfast, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know if I feel like eating like vegetables in the morning. I want like a bowl of cereal or some pancakes. I don't really even eat breakfast, to be honest. I usually just have a protein shake. I'm on a health kick. Dr. Trankler left them alone so that they could talk, going about his business in a different room. Then. They then started speaking very loudly, not caring who heard them, and what came out of Harold Alexander's mouth would freeze the blood in the good doctor's veins, stopping him in his tracks and sending a chill of fear up his spine, especially with how nonchalantly it was said. To quote, Sabine, dear, we want you to know at once that Frank and I have just finished killing your mother and sisters. Uh, what the f***? <laughs> well, <laughs> bro, just came out of nowhere with that it sounds like something straight out of a horror movie. It totally does. This should be turned into a horror movie. Especially when it immediately became clear that the dark, ruddy substance coating and dripping off their clothes wasn't mud at all, it was blood. Oh my lord. Normally, upon hearing something so horrific, a regular person would scream. They'd be mortified. But not Sabine. Oh no. I don't think I'd scream or be mortified. I'd be like, ah, good joke. What was his name? Frank or whatever. Good, good joke, Frank. How is mum? I reckon be like, she's dead, Sabine. You'd be like, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. what? <laughs> As the darkness creeps around us once more, and Dr. Trankler makes his way to the phone to call the police, we and the god good doctor hear Sabine's reply, leaving Dr. Trankler in a state of utter shock and disbelief. I'm sure you've done what was necessary. This is the twisted tale of the Alexander family. The Lorber Society so, let's rewind now and set the stage for today's murderous events. The story begins in Germany, 1864, with a man by the name of Jacob Lorber. He believed that Jesus Christ himself was talking directly to him, and so he wished to spread his message as far and as wide as possible. Isn't the old saying, if God's talking to you, that's okay, but if, do if you're talking to God, you're not okay? Well, regardless, the Lorber Society was born and Jacob started to spread the good word. It never grew into that huge of a following, at least when compared to examples like Jonestown or the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, with the number of members never exceeding a thousand people. Jesus Christ, that's still pretty good though. Like, if you've got a thousand cult followers, you've got a successful cult. Because, like, cult followers, it's not just like, oh yeah, no, they'll like, uh, they'll drop a little penny in the, the, the pot that they pass around in church or whatever. It's like, no, 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 they'll give you all their money because they're in a cult. They were, however, very stringent in their beliefs mostly that anyone who became a part of their little family instantly become good and pure. Anyone who wasn't a part of their group, while well, they were evil. Simple as that. Tainted and impure. And anyone within the group who fraternized with anyone outside it ran the risk of being tainted, infected, and becoming evil. The devil was at work in the world, don't you know? And it was up to the Lorber Society to keep themselves good and pure, keep themselves unblemished, all in the name of God. And this brings us to the late 1930s in Hamburg, Germany. By that time, Lorber had long since passed on, and the cult was under the leadership of Lorber's disciple, George Rehler. The belief system remained the same. The number of members remained the same. And the members remained content in their ways, keeping out all the evil people and remaining pure. Even with how unknown the cult was, it did attract a certain type of people. And it was at that time that George met Harold Alexander. 
Harold took a keen interest in the group, agreeing with their beliefs and enjoying the sense of overt spirituality. He became close friends with George, and soon Harold and his wife Dagmar joined up with the group, giving themselves to it completely. Now, by the time the Alexanders had joined up with this little cult, old George was already, well, quite old. He was fragile, and his health had been in decline for a long time, and by then he had already been suffering from a number of illnesses. It was clear that the end was near for George Reader, and who just so happened to care for him during his last days on Earth? Why, none other than his new and already trusted friend, Harold Alexander. Soon enough, the hourglass ran out, and George passed away. Before his body could grow cold, Harold stood before the whole of the Lorber Society and proclaimed that George had passed the role of leader of the cult onto him. <laughs> Old George, right? Oh, sorry, not George, right? So, Harold's taking a little advantage there, are you, Harold? He's like, no, 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 he promised. He said, I am the next god, disciple, whatever. So, was this the truth? Well, nobody knows for sure, but because Harold said it was George's dying wish for him to assume the leadership role, the rest of the community simply believed him, allowing him to seamlessly ascend to his new seat of power. Now, one trait of each leader of the Lorber Society was that they were meant to be able to hear the voice of the Almighty, essentially being the direct messenger of God on Earth. Jacob supposedly had it, and so did George. With his new position, Harold quickly started proclaiming that what he said was the word of God, or at least whatever the voices in his head were telling him. You see, Harold would later be diagnosed with schizophrenia, which only seemed to intensify thanks to his involvement with the society. Yeah, because they're like, no, it's totally okay. You're hearing, you're hearing voices? That's God. It's like all these people backing him up. Rather than if you get schizophrenia treated, they'll be like, that's not God, that's in your head, and it's dangerous. Get it treated. Mental illness and fear-mongering cults, always a fun combination. Regardless, since the rest of the society was waiting on his every word with bated breath, Harold, in his religious mania, came up with a prophecy. While he himself could receive the word of God, he was unable to interpret it. So instead, Harold explained that a messiah would be born who would act as the true messenger of God. They'd be able to receive God's word and interpret it, and it would be up to the society to take care of them. Didn't he just say that everything he said was the word of God? And now he's like, no, no, I don't understand it. It's just gobbledygook to me. I need an interpreter. You've got to make your mind up, Harold. Their word would be the law, and the society must obey their every command, or else they would be committing blasphemy. And no matter what form this Messiah takes, they must accept and recognize them as their savior. And how would they know when this Messiah would come and who they would be? Well, because Jesus would tell Harold directly, and he'd tell all of them. Wait, is he talking to God or Jesus? Wait, are God and Jesus the same thing? There are some religions that believe they're the same thing, right? The, the, is it Catholicism? The Holy Spirit, Lord, Savior, Holy Spirit, something like that? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, something? <laughs> right? And they're all like somehow one? So, do we see the issue here? He could say, anyone was Messiah with that kind of talk. A random dog off the street could be the Messiah. And he'd say that they'd have to listen to this dog. But sadly, these poor people were so desperately faithful to the cause that they took his words to heart. And so they waited. They waited for a full ten years until that fateful day when Harold and Dagmar Alexander welcomed their firstborn son into the world. Oh my god, what a coincidence! Are they gonna pick their son? Just before we continue with today's episode, let me tell you about our fantastic sponsor there. That, of course, is Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell, sell at every stage of your business. Look, whether you're just starting or you've got an idea, 
where you can go onto Shopify, you can get set up with your store and you can start selling stuff. You know, just a few sales, maybe even just a family and friends at first, but then maybe your product takes off. Maybe it's going so well. You're like, oh no, I'm going to have to switch to like a, a big retail platform that will be able to manage like the millions of sales a month that I'm getting. Well, no, don't sweat it. Shopify are there every step of the way. And whether you're just selling to friends at the beginning or whether you've got like a million orders a month, well, Shopify, they're there. They can support it all. Plus, they have a point of sale system, so you can even sell things in person, which is extra, extra nice. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify's magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com casual. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com casual now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash casual and now back to today's episode my son the messiah frank alexander was born in 1954. now most parents believe their little one to be a gift from god their little angel from on high but for the alexanders especially harold they took this saying literally when it came to frank that whole business of Harold being able to sense when the divine messenger from God was upon them? Yeah, that man wasted no time at all declaring before his followers that his bouncing baby boy was their long-awaited savior, their messiah. It's so true. Like, I didn't really understand it before because I was like, oh yeah, parents, everyone, they all think their children are special, but they're not. It's just everyone thinks that. And it's so hard to not, as a parent, I'm like, no, 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 my kid's special. She's amazing. Especially like the first kid. I mean the second kid as well but it's like with the first one it's even stronger because it's like your first kid and you're like no she's she's a special girl she's a good like something you know but then i realized no this is just like your biology at work whistle boy she's just a kid <laughs> you know like, it's so hard to be like everyone thinks this <laughs> Now, to be clear, I have no problem with people spoiling their children. In fact, I can understand it to a degree. If I were to ever have children, I know that I would do all I could to make sure they had whatever they wanted within reason. Yeah, you gotta be careful with this shit, right? Because you don't wanna, like, uh, like, spoiling kids is fine to a degree, but you also want them to have, like, I don't know, some grit and motivation. And it's like, yeah, I... I don't know, especially, I'm like, I don't want to spoil my kids. I don't want my kids to think that they always have fallback option of coming to live with dad or whatever. And it's like, I definitely had like that. It's like, oh yeah, no, if everything goes wrong, my parents will always be like, yeah, no, you can come and live with us for a bit. <laughs> However, we all know that after a certain point, spoiling a child rotten can have long-lasting effects on their minds and how they perceive the world. You can, could end up with these misogynistic giga chads who believe the world revolves around them, or these ear-splittingly loud Karens who see anything that doesn't line up with what they want as an inconvenience. Yeah, you don't want to raise like giga chads or Karens. Oh, yeah. That would, that's not good. You've got to avoid that. You don't want that. Because it's like, oh, I hate that. Or you have whatever the f Frank Alexander turned into. Yeah, look, they're telling him he's the Messiah. That s going to go bad. Ever since Frank came into the world, he never heard the word no, ever. Frank had three sisters his older sister, Marina, and his younger sisters, Petra and Sabine. But Frank was the special one. From the moment he was born, his father hailed him as the second coming, the true prophet of God, to which his wife agreed. Because of this, the entirety of the Lorber Society was at his beck and call from infancy to his teen years. 
No one argued with him, no one stood up to him, no one contradicted him. His word might as well have been from the lips of the Almighty himself, because he was treated as such, and every word he spoke was treated as gospel. Every thought in his head, no matter how odd or downright insane, was the will of God, and so it and he must be obeyed without question. <laughs> Imagine doing this with my kids. It'd be like, it'd be a disaster. Like yesterday, it was like bedtime, and my kids are like, Dad, are we gonna go to the like, um, oh, what is she? it wasn't soft place. She wanted, oh, she wanted to go to like the arts and crafts place that we sometimes go to when she can draw. And she's like, Dad, I want to go do arts and crafts. And I'm like, well, it's it's late, it's bedtime. And she's like, okay, Dad. <laughs> I can do it another time, I guess. But if it if she was like the Almighty, you'd be like, okay, fine, get dressed. <laughs> get in the car. Can you imagine what this type of treatment did to him? He had no concept of authority that wasn't his own. He had no concept of rejection or want. He was handed everything, and it warped his view on how the world around him was meant to work. So I know what you must be thinking. What kind of proof did Harold and Dagmar have when it came to Frank being the Messiah? I, I, <laughs> Matt, I have to say I wasn't thinking that because I just assumed there's no proof, and I just assumed that Harold's schizophrenic, and uh, yeah, no, I wasn't wondering. The answer is nothing but nonsense, because of course it is. First off, when he was young, Frank suffered from a stutter. How did Harold spin this to his flock as well as his impressionable son? Why, simply this was because he was already receiving the word of Jesus Christ, but because his brain was still small and developing, he wasn't able to interpret it perfectly yet, thus the stuttering. Secondly, and perhaps even more insane, it was because Frank was the only son among their children. Well, why is this significant? Because the verses of the book of Genesis tell us that Eve was born from Adam's rib, thus making her, and by extension his three sisters, imitations of Adam, or in this case Frank. Wait, even though one of them was older? <laughs> Frank literally did not exist at that point, thus proving his superiority over them. Yes, I don't get it either, but you can't reason with crazy people. No, you can't. And this is like a tricky one, because it's like, well, we found out he was schizophrenic, so we don't want to call him crazy because that would be insensitive to people with schizophrenia. But it's also like, this is this is not right. So, clearly a boy raised in a religious cult as the mouthpiece of the Heavenly Father, whose every whim must be fulfilled without question, would have no idea how the real world works or how normal people interact. So here's a fun question for you. What happens when said boy grows into a teenager, is hit with the puberty stick, and starts taking a liking to girls? It's going to go horribly wrong. That's what's going to happen. Well, that's when things get stomach-twistingly weird. Remember how one of the main beliefs of their little cult was that everyone and anyone not affiliated with the group was considered unclean and evil? Well, Frank had this mentality drilled into his head from the second he exited the womb, and he believed it with all his heart. Of course he did, because he learned it from his parents. It's not his fault. I mean, he's probably going to do some terrible but it's he was set up for this. Every girl he saw on the street, every girl that attended school with him, none of them were pure, none of them were serviceable for the prophet of the Almighty. So, what does he do? Why, he turns to his mother and sisters, of course. Oh, f we had to go there, did we? Yes, you read that right, Simon. This damaged, power-mad teenage loon believed the only way to satisfy his hormonal urges and to keep his soul and the integrity of the law of society pure was to have sexual relations with his mother and sisters. Oh, and of course, since he was the messenger of God, we're in no position to refuse his demands, which were frequent. Oh yes, nothing says <laughs> nothing says clean and pure like good old-fashioned incest. Am I right? No. I mean, just ask the Egyptian royals how well that 
turns out. Or any royals. Who was that king with that massive overbite or underbite or whatever? He looked he looked weird in the... Was it like... It wasn't Leopold, was it? It was some weird, like... Uh, he was Spanish or some shit. And he looked weird even in the oil paintings of him from the time. And those oil paintings were always done to make them look more handsome. And that guy already looked like an inbred monster in the painting where they were like oh this is his flattering side so, oh, ah! <laughs> and on top of that harold was in favor of it going so far as to encourage his boy to have sex with their women as much as he wanted whenever he wanted father slash husband of the year am i right obvious sarcasm is obvious wait i didn't understand aren't there like weren't there like a thousand people or whatever following this society surely there are other people in the society that he can like have relations with rather than his Mum! It didn't take long for word to get out, though. You see, Frank wasn't the only one whose worldview was bent out of shape from their time in the cult, since the rest of the family also had a warped sense of reality. Frank's younger sister, Petra, eventually let it slip to her friends at school that she was jealous that her brother Frank preferred her sisters and mother. Not only that, but she also told them that her brother was having an incestuous relationship with her, along with her sisters and mum. Not exactly the sort of thing you bring up in casual conversation, but that's exactly what she did. It is the sort of thing you bring up in casual conversation, though, if you have no idea that that is f***ing weird. Because you'll be like, oh, no, 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 yeah, I definitely f my brother. And his mum. And, and he f***s my mum. And, and you just, and people will be like, eh, you, 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 what now? She'll be like, yeah, like everyone does. And you're like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Unsurprisingly, this made the rounds among the children at the school and soon made it back to their parents. Hey, like, hey, Frank, hey, Frank, hey, Frank, your mother f <laughs> Literally. This brought the Alexander family and the whole of the Lorber Society under the social microscope and resulted in them being judged and vilified by people all around them. Now, being the unbalanced and warped people they were, the Alexanders had no idea why they were being judged so harshly. They were simply doing what God told them to do, simply following what Frank, the perfect prophet, wished them to do. They were pure, free, free from the evil and the toxins that, infected, that infested the people around them. How dare these filthy, degenerate people judge them for doing God's work. <laughs> God's work is incest, is it now? Delusional and idiotic doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what was wrong with these people. Seemingly, all the rightful condemnation got to the Alexanders because, eventually, all of the negative attention forced them out of Germany altogether and they left the law of society behind. Thanks to some money that Dagmar had inherited from her family, the Alexander family was able to move to Spain and bought a house on the island of Tenerife in the Canary Islands. That sounds rather nice. Canary Islands are like... I think I might be going on... Am I going on holiday to the Oh, I'm just deciding on where to go on holiday next year. Canary Islands seem pretty nice because the weather's good. It's in the EU, so it's easy. The flight is like uh, direct in a few hours. And it's like the weather's amazing. I'm like, Canary Islands sound awesome. I think other than there's a there's an island called Reunion, which is off the coast of Madagascar, and it's European Union, because it's like a French it's technically France or something. And it's like, God, it's weird that there's European Union all the way down there. But uh, I just think about like places in the European Union, like places. Like, it's like I'm not going anywhere. But it's often like it's minus twelve outside today, like I said. And it's like, hmm, could move there, couldn't I? You can move anywhere in the EU. And that sounds pretty nice. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. It's just on the days where it's minus twelve, you're like, why? Why am I here? It's winter. It's so cold. And it's like, well, my kids are at school. <laughs> you know, you got a life here. Everything's here. 
it's just really cold. Did their banishment from Germany change their outlook or how they lived their lives in any way? Of course not. They still had their extremely religious lifestyle. Frank was still seen as the messenger of God, and his every word was taken as the commands of Jesus Christ himself. So every depraved act that he heaped upon his female relatives was seen as God's will, and they had no right to question him. The hour is at hand. So... I know what you must be thinking. <laughs> well, Matt, you got it wrong last time because I definitely wasn't thinking about... Oh, what was it? Why they thought he was the prophet? <laughs> Let's see about this time. Well, Matt, that's all sorts of f***s up. Oh boy, you got that one right. I definitely was thinking that. But how does this lead us to where we began this story? And why exactly is the title of the video, The Killing Hour Cult? Well, allow me to fill you in on the rest of the story. You see, there was another belief within the Alexander family that we've yet to address. Apparently, in their screwed up minds, the Alexander family believed that deep down, no matter how good a person they were, no woman could be truly pure, truly good. Every woman on earth was susceptible to the devil's influence, and he could enter their bodies and possess them at any point he chose. Yeah, but that could never happen to a man. <laughs> men are far too powerful and strong and awesome. How would the men of the world know when this happens? Well, because of Frank. How else? Only Frank, the chosen messiah of Jesus Christ, could see through the darkness within a woman and could tell if Satan had taken over her or not. And what would happen should he realize that these women were soon to be taken over? Well, then the killing hour would commence. Frank would then proceed to kill each woman that he possessed, that was possessed, and the women were not allowed to resist or fight back in any way. This, of course, was the only way they could be purified completely and their souls could rightfully ascend to heaven. Madness knows no bounds when mixed with religion and delusion. And disclaimer here, I apologize in advance, Simon and dear audience, but this is about to get pretty damn brutal, so brace yourself. All this build-up brings us back to that fateful day, December the 22nd, 1970. The family had been living on the Canary Islands for about 10 months at that point, and Sabine had already been working as the housekeeper for Dr. Trankler for some time. She was kept away at work during the events that transpired, which might be the only reason that she was spared. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So what precisely happened? Well, much like the majority of this story, there isn't a ton of documentation as to the incident or what truly triggered the heinous acts that would come to pass. From what I've gathered, though, it seems to have all started after Frank and Dagmar had finished a session of incestuous intercourse. According to Frank, he looked at his mother's eyes afterwards, and he felt a sense of unease wash over him. In his own words, his mother simply looked at me wrong. He looked into her eyes and saw cold, sore darkness, perhaps finally a flicker of hate or reproach for what he had done to her, and he knew it was time. Afterwards, at around 9pm, while Dagmar was settling down to sleep, Frank Alexander went to the closet and grabbed a wooden coat hanger. He made his way to his mother's bedside, woke her up, and said, The time has come. With those words, Dagmar knew that the hour was upon them. The devil had claimed her soul, her life was forfeit, and it was up to her son to save her. And so, she didn't resist. Frank lifted the hanger high over his head and brought it down on his mother's head as hard as he could. Dagmar didn't make a move to stop him and didn't call for help. She just accepted that this was the only way, that the killing hour was upon them, and Frank was saving her soul. Harold heard the commotion and came rushing in to see what all the hullabaloo was about. As soon as he saw what his son was doing, Harold understood what was happening. 
Sharing an understanding look with his son, as he continued to beat in the head of the woman who gave him life, Harold simply went over to the organ that they had in their home and began to play, humming and singing religious hymns with every blow of the hanger. Oh my god, this sounds... If this was in a horror movie, you'd be like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's not really believable, is it? Insanity doesn't even begin to cover the so what about Marina and Petra? Well, they heard the music coming from the organ and came to investigate. Seeing Frank, their brother, coated in blood, hanger in hands, and their mother on her bed, her skull caved in, they simply waited their turn. Yes, you read that right as well. Frank's older and younger sister, seeing their mother being brutally killed, simply sat side by side on the floor and waited for their brother to kill them next. All the women in the Alexander family understood the killing hour. They believed in it. They were bound to it, and they simply would not resist it. And so Frank did what he believed he needed to do. With his mother dead, he simply walked up behind his sisters and, raising the hanger, brought it down on both of their heads again and again. After a bit, perhaps he thought the hanger was taking too long, or perhaps it got, his arm had gotten tired, but either way, he abandoned his weapon for another. Leaving his sisters bleeding profusely and barely alive on the floor, Frank went and found a hammer with which he used to smash their heads in, finishing them off. When Petra moaned out in pain before the end, Frank, her older brother, the one who was meant to love and protect her, simply looked down at her and said, A sacrifice will make you purer. And even after all that, the killing hour still wasn't done. With his father's help, Frank then proceeded to absolutely mutilate the body of his mother and sisters. He carved out their hearts, cut off. Wow. Okay, there's mutilation. Uh, it lasted three hours. I don't want to read that. That's not what this show's about. And yeah, uh, it was. I don't. I don't need to share that with you. After that, Frank and Harold Alexander, still sloped in the blood of the female members of their family, left their little apartment and made a beeline for the house of Doctor Trankler to inform them, their last remaining sister slash daughter, that her mother and sisters had been cleansed and that they were free and on their way to heaven. And the rest, as they say, is history. Without a trace. And with that, we're back in Dr. Trankler's house. Frank and Harold are literally dripping with blood and had just admitted to killing Dagmar, Marina, and Petra, and Sabine had just taken the news as if it was the most normal thing on earth. Dr. Trankler hurried to the phone and called the police, telling them everything he just heard. All the while, the Alexanders were just relaxing and talking in his house as if nothing had happened, as if half their family hadn't been brutally slaughtered earlier in the night. When Dr. Trankler got between Sabine and her family in order to protect her, Harold saw the panic on the face of the doctor and was very nonchalant about it. Ah, you heard it. We've killed my wife and other daughters. It was time to kill. The police rushed over to the house, and as soon as they got there and saw the state of Harold and Frank, both men were placed under immediate arrest. The two of them were shocked, as was Sabine. They had no idea why they were being arrested. They had done nothing wrong, after all. They had simply saved their womenfolk from the clutches of the devil. They had saved their souls. I mean, as much as you're into your own cult and stuff, surely you are aware of the law. The police took the two men back to their apartment. Hell, Frank and Harold volunteered to walk them through the crime scene and tell them precisely how it all happened. I mean, they had nothing to hide or be ashamed of, right? When they arrived, the police saw everything these nutjobs had told them was true. Blood was everywhere, from pools on the floor to sprays on the wall. Marina and Petra were sprawled out on the floor, and Dagmar was laying in her bed, cold and still. Their heads had been beaten, their bodies mutilated. Frank and Harold were very matter-of-fact about what they'd done, as well as the reasoning behind it. They all had to die. Simple as that. All because the devil was about to get his talons on them, and that couldn't be allowed to happen. So saith Frank Alexander, the true messiah. 
a messenger of God. So yeah, it's safe to say both Frank and Harold Alexander were charged with the murders of Dagmar Marina and Petra Alexander. They were sent to trial, and their court case dragged on for about two years. I can already hear you asking, two years? How's that possible? This sounds like the very definition of open and shut. Yeah, surely it's like, you gotta be, they're like admitting it. They plead guilty. Boom. And normally, you'd be totally correct. However, it wasn't as clear cut as it seems. Not so much to the crimes, it was obvious they did it, but more so with the verdict and sentencing. Yeah, it's, it's gonna hang on like a mental health thing, right? You see, at the time, a crime of this magnitude in Spain would warrant the death penalty, but the problem with that is that Frank and Harold weren't even trying to defend themselves. They boasted about what they did. They were damn near proud of it. Because of this, the judge and jury felt there was no grounds to sentence them to death. From the word jump, it was clear that both men were insane. Hell, Harold was diagnosed with schizophrenia, as mentioned before, and Frank kept on spouting out how he was the voice of Jesus himself, and that they should all listen to him, and that his word was law. I mean, you can't even look up anything about this case without getting a picture of the trial and Frank having what could only be described as the very definition of crazy eyes. <laughs> and I see there's an image posted, and this guy looks crazy. So instead of finding them guilty and sentencing them both to death, both Frank and Harold were acquitted on all charges on the basis of being absolutely bad crazy. With that, they were both sentenced to spend the rest of their days behind the walls of Madrid Mental Health Center. And as for Sabine? Well, in typical crazy Alexander fashion, she begged the court and the judge to sentence her to the same institution as her father and brother. They of course ignored her nonsense pleas, and it's believed that she was instead sent to live in one of the Madrid monasteries, and she had her name changed. After that, what happened to her is unknown. We don't even know if she's still alive, but if she is, I can only hope that she was able to live a fairly normal life and have her mind unscrambled from the insane influence of her insane family. So. What about Frank and Harold? Well, they remained housed in the same mental institution for many years, 18 to be precise, until they weren't. That's because in 1990, when Frank was 36 and Harold was 61, they managed to escape from the clinic. The authorities were put on high alert and Interpol was even contacted, putting a warrant out for their recapture. Normally, this is the part of the story where I tell you guys they were brought back into custody in a week or two, except no. Frank and Harold Alexander simply disappeared into the Spanish countryside, never to be seen again, even to this day. No chance! Good God! I thought when people escape from, like, prison, they're almost always recaptured! Wrap up. And there we have it. That's the end of our tale. As I said before, there aren't a lot of sources for this story, so I had to piece together as coherent a case as I could for this one. Hell, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so that should tell you something right there. I've honestly been wanting to cover this case for this channel for some time, ever since I started on the writing team. The first time I'd even heard about this was due to the video made on it by Mr. Borlin, and it's stuck with me ever since. Frank and Harold Alexander were utterly delusional, utterly insane, and utterly diabolical. Harold because of his mental issues and manipulative behavior, and Frank, well, this is perhaps one of the truest examples of nurture over nature that I've ever seen. From birth, the boy was raised to believe that the entire world should bow at his feet, that God himself was talking through him, and that everything he said and did was just and right. And so when he came to believe his mother and sisters were possessed by Satan, he took it upon himself to butcher them horribly, all while his father simply played the organ and sang in the background praise for him. And in the end, it's hard to say they ever really paid for their crimes. Yes, they served 18 years apiece in a mental institution, but they still managed to escape and avoid capture after that. Were they able to escape the country? Were they being hidden and harbored by the Lorber Society that revered them so much? Were they able to find Sabine and complete the ritual, killing her, and then themselves in secret? Who knows? The world may never know. But if I was to hazard a guess, 
Given the fact that we haven't heard or seen from them since then, I'm inclined to believe the latter to be true. Just a guess? Perhaps. But I think it's safe to say that the entirety of the Alexander family is long gone, taking their own specific brand of madness to the grave with them. So, with that, as always, I wish to remember the victims of this insane crime. Were they willing victims? Yeah, they were, but they were victims nonetheless brainwashed into their deluded belief. Their lives snuffed out by the brother-slash-son and father-slash-husband that were meant to love them. Dagmar Alexander, Marina Alexander, Petra Alexander. And perhaps, in the end, we don't know, Sabine Alexander as well. And as for our antagonists, as I stated, I believe them both to be dead now. Harold, if he was still alive, would fast be approaching a hundred at this time, and Frank would be nearing seventy. Is there a chance they're still out there? Maybe. But I doubt they would have been able to keep their craziness quiet for long. So to them I say, well, rot in hell, you delusional self-righteous You might have believed you were the voice of God, but trust me when I say, he ain't listening. Yes, and that's where we end today's video. Thank you for being here. Relatively short one today. If you enjoyed this show, please do rate it on Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Or if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.